You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. We have a fun show for you guys today. And I'm not just saying that because we're about to rub it in Shotgun's face that he was very wrong last week, but we'll get into that. (laughs) He's already making faces. Don't worry, Shotgun. We'll we'll get into it. We're going to take a look at USC's blowout win against Washington State and preview their matchup, rivalry matchup against UCLA on Saturday. And of course, we'll be answering your questions. Thanks to everyone who tweeted them at us. I guess that's the thing we're doing now. <laughs> you can also reach us at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can put your submissions or your questions for the show. We love to hear from you guys. Alrighty, guys, let's just jump into it. Stock up. Chris Trevino, who you got? Oh, I thought I was going second. I always I never, I can't figure out the pattern. Uh, I'm trying to stay away from the super obvious ones. And I'm going to let Shotgun have the super obvious ones. Uh, but I'm going to jump in with a little cornerback by the name of Max Williams. USC suffered a big blow in the game, losing Greg Johnson to a torn meniscus. He is out for the remainder of the year. Left the game, I believe, around the middle of the game. Uh, did not return, was seen on crutches. Max Williams has been a real treat this year. He really emerged in the fall camp. Greg Johnson was projected as a starter, but Max kept coming in, in camp. Pushed it to be more like of a, a co-starting role. Played great on Sunday. Had some really good coverage in the flats. Uh, second on the team with seven total tackles. Had a tackle for a loss. He was knocked for not being the biggest cornerback. Not being the fastest cornerback out of Sarah. But he's really come on and he just makes plays. So stock is up for him. Likely moving into that, that full-time starting job moving forward. Oh, I'll one-up you, Chris. And I'll go stock up the Williamses. You know, Max Williams played great in this game, just like you talked about. His stock is definitely rising now that he's going to move into that starting role as the the third safety, the nickel uh, role that USC has. But also Chase Williams. I think he deserves a lot of credit in this game as well. USC, you know, went with a five-safety look, put both of those guys on the field along with the three guys that are normally starting to combat the, the, the spread attack that Washington State has. And I thought Chase Williams played great in this game. You know, he was terrific coming up and making some tackles. He hit Jaden Delore a couple times early, which I think had an impact throughout the game. You know, he had one big hit on him, kind of blindside on a, on a throw early in the game. And then the first time that De- Delora tried to scramble, Williams came up and popped him there again. And then you saw Delora the rest of the game was kind of a little hesitant to, to take off and run outside the pocket. So I think that he, he had a big impact on this game, you know, starting with those couple of hits early. And USC kind of took it to Delora and he did not have his best game. But I got both the Williamses, not just Max. Uh, but I think both the guy, those guys are playing great right now. I feel like I played a draw four on you, and then you just hit me with another draw reverse or whatever. You just threw it right back in my face. Yeah, and those guys are really good, as you mentioned, blitzers off the edge. They're really good at getting those pressures in the backfield, especially Chase, who was graded out really, really well as a freshman uh, in that limited playing time. But yeah, both, both guys are really good at getting in the backfield and getting that pressure. Yeah, it's interesting that Max Williams is a guy that 
that coming off the edge that can be used as a blitzer. He just finds a way to get the quarterback. Like like you said, you know, coming out of high school, they're questioning, oh, he's not that big. But all he does is make plays, and in a role that you wouldn't expect him to really uh, excel at as a blitzer, he's he's pretty dynamic. You know, he just he ducks his shoulders really well. He dives underneath the bigger lineman and finds a way to get to the quarterback and make an impact when he's coming off the edge as well. Hey, Keely, if you want, you can join back in the podcast now. <laughs> oh, oh. Wow. Every time I would go to unmute myself, someone else would go, and I'd be like, okay, okay, nope, it's okay. I know the, the romance is strong between you two, so I don't want to break it up, you know? Helium boys for life. Have you, you mentioned helium boys last time, Chris, and I don't think that's ever made it on a pod, the context of helium boys. It's just a unspoken inside thing. We have the Helium Boys podcast. Okay. Or as we first heard you say, Keely and the Boys, which I I liked better than Helium Boys, but that's fine. No, that's a separate podcast. <laughs> we have many sideshows. Anyway. Keely and, Keely and the Boys is the podcast that happens before you hit record. Because <laughs> yeah, there's a true. lot of gems in there. <laughs> Helium Boys is when you're late and it's me and Pog, me and Shotgun just talking. That's what it is. Okay. True. Sure. That's fine. Stimming anyway, from Keeley showing up 30 minutes late to a podcast. That happened once, and I was working, <laughs> and I'm sorry, and it's, I've never heard the end of it. My goodness. Anyway, I had stock up for something that USC has not traditionally been good at. I had garbage time. Getting to garbage time. Uh, USC, at least on the defense, was able to rest guys in the second half of the game. I thought that was a good move by Todd Orlando, especially on short rest. We talked about it last week. USC has a hectic schedule where they're going to be playing essentially three games in 13 games if you're if they're going to go to the Pac-12 championship game. And so being able to keep USC in the game, shutting it down, and being comfortable enough to put backups for the whole second half. I thought that was a, a good thing by USC's defense and stock up for uh, garbage time for once. Yeah, who, who are USC's two most important defensive, you know, pass rushers? Marlon Tuipolotu, Drake Jackson. They played a combined one snap in the second half. One snap. Uh, Drake Jackson came in on a fourth quarter uh, in a pass rush situation. That was it. You know, Marlon Tuipolotu was on the sideline the entire second half, did not play. You know, Mar- uh, Tuli Tuipilotu and Nick Figueroa played a handful of snaps each in the fourth quarter, but, you know, they didn't play at all in the third quarter. They were rested as well. So it, it gave an opportunity for guys like Hunter Eccles, uh, Connor Murphy, Brandon Peely even to get a couple extra snaps, and Kobe Pepe to step in there and, and play a little bit more. Um, some guys that you think you're going to rely on, even more so than just the, you know, the the second and third string guys that are young guys. You know, guys that you know that are going to be in that rotation that you may have to count on, especially with defense linemen. If someone you know kind of tweaks an ankle or something, those guys got to be ready to go in. So getting the, those guys some extra playing time while resting guys like Marlon Tupelotu and Drake Jackson with the potential of three games in 13 days, uh, I think I thought it was a, a great opportunity for USC and, and a great step forward for them. I had blowouts in parentheses, you know, for them as stock up because, hey, they actually were able to get that garbage time in that you would like to see them finish it off a little bit better than they did. Yeah, that's why I said defensive garbage time because they at least took care of business. (laughs) Um, 
But I will say, though, it was interesting because I thought that would be an opportunity for Orlando to get a, a better sense for certain players seeing them play. But we asked him about it on Wednesday, and he kind of uh, shooed that off a little bit because he was like, you know, with the matchups and, and you don't know if, if Washington State is putting in their backups as well, so you don't really know. And he kind of reemphasized how important practice is, and that's really how you see your time on Saturday. So I thought that was interesting that he kind of, turn that into yeah but practice is still the most important thing in my evaluation of players so i wonder if that was a message to the players as well like i know the players are going to listen to some of this and like i'm not going to give anybody credit for what they did in garbage time uh especially since they gave up a touchdown maybe that all played into it felt like there was a little extra psyche involved in this well we we know at least one player listens to the family food podcast <laughs> yes shotgun <laughs> no but i was gonna say it is interesting this year having Zooms where players and coaches are sitting together talking about things, and specifically on Wednesday with Todd Orlando and Nick Figueroa, because I think Todd at one point was like, yeah, it's really cool hearing a player say that. And then before Nick started talking, he was like, well, thanks, coach, for the, the kind words. So <laughs> it was it's an interesting dynamic. It's like a parent-teacher conference almost. It's kind of odd in that sense. Parent-teacher conference. That's a great example. That's a great analogy to what it feels like. And I think Orlando even said earlier in his first conference or something that he didn't doesn't like uh, talking when the guys are on there with him. I believe he referenced that, but seems like he's enjoying it. He's making jokes, too. I believe he made a joke about Raylan's hair at one point. I think he was lying to us. Chrissy T, what do you got for stock up? I have the baby offensive lineman, Jonah Monheim and Cortland Ford. Look, I know they weren't world beaters. But they were true freshmen making their first game appearances, their first start, at least for Cortland Ford. And I think they performed well considering the circumstances of this week where USC literally was not practicing with an O-line. You just had Cortland off in his little playpen, as Graham Harrell said, working by himself. Casey Collier was there. He referenced that, that they were just kind of working on getting mental reps, picking up blitz coverages. Uh, and Jonah came in for uh, a Liam Jimmins, who had to leave after the first half. So two interior guard spots, two freshmen. These were the guys that we thought, you know, if USC had to play a couple of these freshmen out of the 2020 class, it was going to be these two, the Moore Park Mahler and Big Ford. So I like their I like their first appearance. I like what they did. I know Ford was a little shaky earlier, gave up a sack, uh, but I think it was a good start for these guys. Yeah, Monheim actually played the, the final three quarters. Uh, I know the first quarter seemed like it was the entire first half for USC. But Liam Jimmins came out after that the fourth touchdown um, by um, by Amon Ross St. Brown. So it was interesting to see those guys in there. There were issues with the run game and stuff. Um, I, I think they held their own, uh, and especially with no practice with the older guys in the week leading up to the game, and you know having that scout team work and stuff. I think they held their own. Uh, but I, I think that they you know. This is if you're going to talk about how good those guys can be throughout the entire thing of, of camp and the first few weeks, then you know I was expecting a little bit more out of the offensive line as as a as a unit. Oh, is this is this a feud battling? Is this a stock down for you, Shotgun? I had stock down run game. Now I think it's more than just the offensive line. I think the tight ends didn't block very well. I think the wide receivers at times didn't block well, and the extended run game even. You know USC. They use these wide receiver screens as part of, of their run game. Um, you know, they didn't block well on those. And a lot of that's going to go back to, 
you know, the opportunities in practice to be able to go in team periods and stuff and not have that. But especially early in the game, they, they really struggled with that and really struggled to establish that. you got to be able to run the ball for more than five yards. Even if you have a couple freshmen in there, hey, let's look at Ohio State. They had a very similar situation. They lost four offensive linemen, had COVID issues, uh, three starters, and their top backup, similar to what USC had. If you count Liam Jimmins leaving the game, you know they had two starters out and their two top backups you know, were out. And Ohio State, against a much tougher run defense, in Michigan State than Washington State. Washington State was giving up 195 yards a game coming in. Ohio State ran for 322 yards. Even if you want to take out quarterback runs in that, you know, uh, that Ohio State still ran for five yards a carry with their running backs and like 170 yards. USC ran 16 times for 25 yards with their running backs. So just got it. You got to do better. Um, and Graham Harrell dismissed it this week. You know, it said he just kind of poo-pooed it when the question was asked. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't care less. Um, but, you know, if you want to be a championship team and you want to win a college football playoff game, you got to run, be able, be able to run for more than five yards. Shotgun, you're getting ahead of ourselves. It's hey, stock up time. One, you asked if I had them on stock down. So that, that before you opened the window for me to go into it. Yeah. I, I broke the cardinal rule giving you any opportunity to speak because it's going to be a three minute tangent. But yes, you're right. Okay. We'll get back to, to the run game issues when we get to stock down. Okay, so let's go back to stock up. And so the run game wasn't working, but you know what was? The deep passing attack. Not just the passing attack. You know, Keaton Slovis, the accuracy there, the ball placement was there, a little more zip. You didn't see any flutter nuffer balls flying out of there. You know, but the deep passing attack in particular was really good. I, I think it was 4-4 four four on, on passes over 20 yards in this game, and that's something that they just haven't had incorporated this season because Slovis wasn't able to push the ball down the field. They just weren't able to connect even when they had some open receivers. This game, however, throwing it to Amon Ross St. Brown on the outside, hitting Tyler Vons on the deep ball, it really helped, I'm sure, that, you know, that Washington State was missing DBs including Jalen Watson, the former USC commit, one of their starting uh, corners and probably their top corner. But you got to still be able to take advantage, and USC did that. Their deep passing attack looked really good in this game, and hopefully that's a good sign for them going forward the next couple games. We family feud curse Jalen Watson. We're sorry. We're sorry. It's true. Also known as the Chris curse, which still is undefeated. This is true. Do I have multiple Chris curses? Yeah. Going through the receipts, apparently you cursed uh, Marquis Step. This is true. I cursed Marquis Step. Well, uh, I don't remember that, but of I'm sorry to Big Number Thirty, the Big Stepper himself, aka Big Indiana, aka Stepping with My Baby, aka Touchdown Magnet, aka I had nothing else. Aka the run game didn't do anything in this game, so we're spending way too much time talking about a running back. Why do, you, why do you want to fight with me? I don't. I don't understand what I, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But if you, if that's your take, that's your take. Maybe maybe I could hear more about Aaron Cromenhoek. <laughs> yeah, shotgun. Who else you got on stock up? Well, if you guys want to get into tight ends, that's not on stock up. That's on stock down. No, you know what? Who's you guys on... keep bringing up stuff that's on stock down. I don't understand what's going on here. No, you know who's on stock up that you haven't mentioned yet. We're not touching it. Mm-mm, it's yours to with touch. The, with the, it's yours to touch. It's yours I to think touch. you're. Are you referring to Nick Figueroa and his three sacks? Uh, that's on my list, but that's not what I'm referring <laughs> to. 
Amon Ross St. Brown, obviously, ah! is on stock up because no touchdowns coming in. Four touchdowns in the first quarter. I mean, there's no way he wasn't on stock up after he ties a Pac-12 record and a USC record in the first quarter. You would have liked to see him uh, could we put something together with another drive and get the record for him there after such a uh, terrific start in this game. Uh, USC definitely was trying to get the ball to him. Uh, Graham Harrell, did, I asked him if they were trying, if they were, there's times when they try to specifically get guys involved. And he was like, eh, not so much necessarily. That's more on the quarterback. But Keaton Slovis was definitely trying to get on Monroe St. Brown involved in this game. You know, they found him on the first touchdown, you know, found a window uh, against the man coverage with a slant route, a couple of uh, a slot fade on the second one. The third one was definitely, you know, something part of the game plan. And we'll try to get him a, a touch uh, with a quick pop pass. He beats the corner to the edge. Bad angle by the other the other cornerback on that play. And Vavai Malapaya, a nice block on that. And then the last one, you know, throw it up there and give the guy a chance after you tried a couple times uh, to, to run the ball and were unsuccessful. All right, let's go back to the guy who's scoring all the touchdowns. Throw it to him. I wonder if there was a conscious effort after maybe he had scored the first two on his first two touches. If it was like, let's go three for three. Let's go three for three in that hoe. I, I want to know if, like, he was actively trying to make it even more impressive by doing it on his first four touches. I, I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily just on his, on his touches. It definitely helped with the defense, the way they created those short fields for USC. I mean, the third one was a, what, two-yard run or whatever after Talanoa Hufunga, you know, takes it down with an incredible play in himself, uh, creating that, you know, short 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 field and USC that's when they used a little bit of creativity and went with the pop pass with some motion um there actually not even motion which was what what was interesting about that play is that it, USC sometimes will bring a wide receiver in motion uh before the snap sometimes run the receiver uh behind the backfield which they did a couple times with Gary Bryant and Amon Ross St. Brown this game but that one was actually on the snap he took off from the inside slot position and they popped past it to him. So it was a little bit of a sneakiness to it there. And got the ball in his hands, and, and he did the rest, beating the, beating the nickel corner to the to the pylon for the third score of the game. I had stock up for turnover margin and capitalizing off of uh, takeaways because I feel like those are two things that we've talked about a lot. USC did not take advantage when set up in a position to score by its defense, and I feel like the 28 points in the first quarter had a large part to do with USC's defense getting those turnovers and a, a nice play by Tyler Vons on special teams as well. So I think in that game in particular, USC capitalized on where its defense put them on the field. And I know in the third quarter, they didn't, they were set up. It was like a 30 yard line and couldn't score. And then Parker Lewis misses the field goal. So USC at least wins the turnover margin this game. And USC is currently tied for second in the nation in turnover margin with 1.5. They also lead the Pac-12 with a plus six turnovers. And they lead in both interceptions with six and fumble recoveries in six. So there you go. Well done. Just did stack just did stack pack today, so it's all swimming in my head. Way to shotgun me right there. <laughs> Impressive stats all, all the way across there. Um I think when you go back to Keeley's original point on it, is that you know, finishing off those drives, that's been the biggest thing. And another stat for you there is they went four for four with touchdowns when they were in the red zone in that first quarter. Now, the the Parker Lewis missed field goal. They ended up, I think, four for five. Um, or they went three for three, sorry. Amon Ross St. Brown's fourth touchdown was from 22 yards instead of 
or second touchdown. One of those, one of those touchdowns. There's so many, it's hard to hard to pick which one it was. But one of them was just outside the red zone. But they they ended the game four for five there. Uh, so give them a lot of credit for being able to finish drives, something they had struggled with the first couple games of the season. So yeah, I think that's definitely a stock up. Chris, you got any more over there? I had a quick one on uh, Mr. Gary Bryan Jr. He was a guy we were all excited for coming to the season. Didn't really see a lot of him. He was banged up in fall camp. That delayed his uh, progression to getting into that to the to the game early in the season. Uh, had his best game of his uh, young career with uh, those four catches, uh, about 33 yards. Uh, they had some special packages for him. Tried to get him the ball. I know you asked about that, uh, but it seems like he's been producing in practice, so they want to get him on the field. Uh, Hoping for a, a couple more big moments for him as we cl- close out the season because I'm really excited about uh, him moving forward. It was interesting to me that you know his extra playing time, the package they used him, actually took away snaps from Brew McCoy. Um, so Brew McCoy only played 14 snaps in this game, whereas Gary Bryant played 19. The starters were, you know, the starting trio were between 40 and 50. Also, part of that is that USC just didn't have that many snaps. You know, they had 53 snaps in the game. That's it, offensively. Um, So, you know, the tempo definitely with those two long drives from Washington State really killed the offensive tempo. USC had, I think it was something like eight plays in one quarter. That was it. Um, So they didn't have a ton in the second. They didn't have a ton in the fourth quarter. They had seven in the fourth quarter, two, eight in the second quarter. So they they made the most of them, what they had in the first quarter. And but it, it was interesting to see that, that some of those snaps that Gary Bryant was able to get in this game came away from from Brew McCoy's total. I had a couple mini stock ups, if you will. Shotgun, I know you're probably going to jump in with your plethora of ones that you add in at the end. <laughs> I had an audible stock up thanks to Todd Orlando on Wednesday. He was asked about players that have uh, been impressing him or have changed since training camp and he actually mentioned Hunter Eccles as someone who is taking film study more seriously and who is coming on late so I think just because your defensive coordinator mentions you you have to put him on stock up I also had stock up for buying in and maybe like a defensive unity and energy I feel like the last two games they've just played with a level of cohesion if you will that just you can see it out on the field and it looks like they're having fun and i think people ha- are starting to have fun watching this defense and especially seeing okay what tal- what can talanoa do as a mike linebacker you know seeing uh the the adjustments that Todd Orlando makes to personnel issues you know i think stock up on that whole front and i it's interesting i think the p's tune is changing on to- Todd Orlando they seem more optimistic on big old to so stock up for that yeah, I had stock up defensive creativity. Uh, we haven't actually mentioned Talanoa Hufunga. I mean, he, he was incredible this game. Moving to a new position, being asked to do a lot of different things at that linebacker position, both blitzing, dropping. Um, you know, he was everywhere, it seemed like, this game. The fact that I think he had, like, nine tackles. You know, after the game, I was like, he only had nine tackles? It felt like he had 35 in this game. He just seemed like he was around everywhere. And part of that was also Washington State's play count was down as well. Uh, but, you know, the defense creativity to decide, you know, we're thin inside linebacker, but also Washington State's going to try to spread us out. Let's see what we can do with Talanova Funga and get him down there and using him in the box, but also just, just having seven DBs on the field at once 
and five of those being safety bodies. Like I talked about with Chase Williams coming up and hitting Jaden Delora, I thought they gave him a better opportunity against a mobile quarterback. If he tries to get out of the pocket, those guys are more adaptable to be able to come up and make plays than a linebacker having to be dropping in coverage and then try to change the direction. I think the safety is a little bit more adept at that. So I, I think that the creativity to do some different things and some of the blitz calls, the creativity there, I, I thought was really good. You know, I, I've been impressed with Todd Orlando and the different things he's done. Um, and, you know, it, it was interesting to hear him say this week that, you know, after the Utah game, he wasn't like, okay, that's how it's supposed to be. Let's go. It's, it was good to see it back-to-back games because you want to make sure basically that the Utah game wasn't a fluke. He didn't just get hot in that game. He, he's like, so he was happy to see it two games in a row. The players are playing loose and really attacking. And I think that plays into what you said, Keely, just as far as they're having fun. You can tell, you can see it, um, you know, when, when someone makes a great play, when someone misses a tackle. You, they're there to help each other out, not pointing fingers. All the positive things that you see and when a unit's doing really well, that's what's happening right now with the defense. I also had a stock up just for USC secondary in general. I think they're playing really well. And I think that you just saw, especially against Washington State, it's just a lot of talented bodies. This is kind of just adding on to your Williams's uh, stock up. But it just it just felt like, okay, Greg Johnson goes down. Okay, shift Chris Steele to, to nickel. Okay, how do they adjust? And everyone didn't really miss a beat. I just felt like it showed the, the progress under Nivar and Dante Williams and just how talented they are at, at their core. I'm sure Shotgun has more on this, but after his film study, but ITS actually started the game over OG. Indeed. Isaac Taylor Stewart, who was also my stock up, uh, just the fact that he's getting more opportunities. He started this game and he played just as many snaps as uh, Elijah Griffin or more snaps than Elijah Griffin and just as many snaps as Chris Steele. Part of that was that, you know, Chris Steele did move inside and play that that uh, safety nickel slot position um, later in the game when Greg Johnson went out. But you, that's just gives you another option. If you have confidence in Isaac Taylor Stewart that he can, you know, he's out there and he can play just as well as those two guys, and it's a, you know, true three-man rotation like it was in this game, then that gives you confidence to say, hey, if we need to move Chris Steele, we need to put him here. Hey, if we want to put extra DBs on the field, we have this extra option now. So I, I think it's really big for him to to take that step forward after the knee injury that he suffered in the bowl game. You know, he's just been behind those other two guys the entire time and looks like he's working his way up at being at least a little bit closer to an equal rep count with those guys. Shoddy, your final stock ups? I thought Chris might touch on it, but Nick Figueroa, I mean, the three sacks, he had 17 snaps in this game. That's crazy. The fact that he got three sacks and 17 snaps. He gave credit to Talano Hufunga, said a couple of those, you know, is just being in the right place at the right time. Uh, but that's just that's doing his job. That's the things that you know have, you have to do. He said Talanoa was there early, and you know it, it was basically an alley oop for him to be able to finish him off. But you have to be able to beat your guy to to be able to be in that right spot. You know, even if it's not an initial beat right off the line of scrimmage, like his first sack was, he just destroyed the offensive lineman, ran right by him. Um, but he's, you know, he didn't get a ton of opportunities this game, which is interesting. That he and you know he was demoted to this uh, two 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 moved up to the starters role before that Utah game and he stayed in it this week. Nick Figueroa played less snaps than Tuli, but Nick Figueroa continues to make some be impressive and make some big plays out there. So three sacks and seventeen snaps that's that definitely is, is stock up. You know even though he's been good so far this season when you, when you do a when you have a stat number like that you definitely make the make the list as well. I did have my boy on my list. But at this point, I cannot keep 
putting him up on the stock up or people are going to think he's paying me to put him on there. So I need to, I need to let other people kind of <laughs> kind of talk about him a little bit. And also now the team's new leading sack leader with three and a half. And easily that could be higher because I know we got on him for getting in the backfield. I believe it was the Utah game, but not finishing off those plays. So easily could have, you know, maybe five or six. And three sacks in one game was you at one shy of USC's record. So there you go. And if he had, you know, if he had six more snaps, he probably would have had a fourth one. I mean, that's what he was on base for there. So um, and the last stock up that I had was 10 men, question mark. Because USC, we they have much been maligned in the past on special teams for, you know, when they've had 10 men or nine men or eight men in one case uh, against Stanford uh, about five years ago. But uh, they had 10 men on a play this game. It's the second time it's happened this season, but worked out really well for them this, this time. You know, it doesn't make any sense why it worked out. Uh, Isaiah Polamalu runs off the field uh, on a punt return, you know, after nearly having an interception. So it probably got in his head a little bit. No one forced him back on the field like they should have. But so you have 10 guys out there. Well, Isaac Taylor Stewart's one of the gunners on the outside. He's turning the sideline like, hey, we got to get somebody back in here. He's waving the sideline. The play is snapped and the, the, the Washington State guy runs right by him. So now you basically have nine guys out on the field. Well, USC uses two returners. So you take away, you know, an extra blocker there. So they have like six guys that are blocking on this play, and somehow it's their longest punt return of the season. Now, 15 yards is, you know, you know, a world beater. But you know, it, it was just impressive that somehow this worked out. And part of it was because they had two returners. You had a couple guys go towards Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's made a little jab step when he first caught the ball and got outside and was able to pick up some yards. Uh, yeah, using the neck motion as Keely is demonstrating in our. Uh, Visual. Oh, no. I'm pulling a Chris. <laughs> visual bits, visual bits, visual bits. Uh, yeah, but Tyler Vaughn is often able to snap the neck and you know bounce it back and forth and get DBs to go flow one way. Uh, he did this on the punt return, picked up 15 yards, but the 10 men actually worked out for once for him. So this is actually the third time this season that they've had 10 men on the field. One of them was on defense last, uh, last week on a fourth down play, or last game against Utah. They on a fourth down play, and they were – uh, they gave up the first down on that one. I, I like to imagine that a young Tyler Vons would, as a child, go to a car dealership and just watch the wavy inflatable guy, and that's where he got the move like. Because <laughs> it does the it does resemble the. I won't leave you hanging, Keely. I'll, I'll get some visual bits in there for you. You know, very very similar kind of whipping motion you do a very good wavy inflatable car dealership floaty man thank you thank you you. (sighs) hopefully everyone can get the sense of how much you are whipping yeah i hope i hope i hope the grunts and the (laughs) will will, will tell you in that that pop that the mic might have picked up that pop that just happened in your neck dislocating um (laughs) shotgun is done with us right now um now bear with me guys I have a stock neutral that will lead us into stock down. Okay? Calm down. Calm down, shotgun. Stock neutral. Still, still not a thing. Stock neutral for not only this game, but USC's 2020 game so far. Because you have this first quarter performance where uh, Amon Ra is break, almost breaking records and just an offensive explosion. You have the defense play well. 
But then you have the second half where they kind of just go on cruise control. There's always something to kind of nullify something that goes well or is fun or exciting in the game. You know, the first two games, they it's nail biters. They win in the last second. So you're like, this is exciting. But also, how did USC get to this point where they needed to pull out those last minute victories? The Utah game, you're like, okay, they played well, but... Utah also just didn't look like a good team. They obviously hadn't played until that point, and you could see it. So it's like, how much do you really celebrate a win? Even Todd Orlando said that as much. And then this game, like I said, offensive explosion, defense plays well. How good is Washington State? Probably not that good. And you obviously already touched on it, shotgun, but then you have the run game issues, and USC can't really get that going. So it just leaves this weird taste in people's mouths and fans' mouths where you can't fully celebrate a win so far in 2020, if that makes sense. Yeah, if USC fans should just turned it off after the first quarter, they would have been happy. Excited. This is a great game. We played terrific. And then the rest of the game went on. They're like, oh, this is, uh, this is, uh. Um, it's just, it's the same thing it's been. Uh, so it's unchanged. Stock um, neutral. Thank you. No, it's unchanged. That USC doesn't really play to its full potential. They show flashes of it. You can get excited about certain things. But then you're like, well, what about that other element? And, you know, and all teams have some struggles in each game, but when does USC going to play their full potential? And that's the big question with the Clay Helton coach teams is, you know, they don't always do that and or rarely do that, actually. Uh, so, you know, they, they don't put together a full 60 minutes, and that's a, a big part of it as well. The offense looks really good early you know, couldn't get out of its own way a little bit in the second half, uh, even with some short fields. So it's it's just the same thing as, as normal. You know, it, it's easier to talk about after this game when you blow someone out and you just don't blow them out by as much as you think because, again, 52-6 looks a lot better than 38-3. Um, but it's the same thing we said after the Arizona State game and after the Arizona game. You know, it's, hey, they won, but they still are not really playing to their potential. Yeah, I actually had – a complete game effort by USC at halftime on my 10, where I look at the five positive takeaways, five negatives. I had complete game effort as the positive, and then by the middle of the third quarter, I just took my pen and was like, let me just scratch that out. <laughs> just scratch that out. So, yes, still still wanting that, that complete game effort. Will we get it next week? Are they saving it for the Pac-12 title game? Maybe? We don't know. We don't hey, know. They got to get to the Pac-12 title game first. It's true. Already, we've already kind of waded into it multiple times, but stock down. Shotgun, you talked about the run game. I think we have to talk about it again. I had stock down on Graham Harrell, question mark, just because we wanted to ask about it after uh, the game, and we talked about it with him on Tuesday, and he just kind of seemed disinterested. He seemed like it wasn't an issue, and he gave that short response, which I think Shotgun is pulling up right now. But are you... (laughs) nice and so I just it's interesting because if you would have told people at the end of year one hey by this time in 2020 we'd also be in a pandemic wouldn't believe that but also hey people would be more high on Todd Orlando than maybe Graham Harrell I think you'd be confused given how USC offensively ended 2019 so I just stocked down because I think people are a little skeptical at this point right now yeah, and that quote from Graham Harrell, he was asked about his level of concern for the run game after only having five yards and only 25 yards on 16 carries for the running backs. He said when a QB goes 17 for 17, Keaton Slovis had a 17 consecutive uh, completion streak in the first half, but Graham Harrell said when a QB goes 17 for 17 and is doing things well, that's our level of concern. And just ended it. 
<laughs> that, was, that was his response to that. Um, so he's not concerned about the run game. And he, you know, they, they followed it up and he talked about, hey, if they're going to play man coverage, there's going to be matchups on the perimeter they want to attack. But you still have to – you don't have to run the ball for 300 yards, but you need to be able to run the ball some. And they weren't playing man coverage the entire game. You know, they mixed up their looks. Part of the reason why they did play man coverage, this was something that a lot of people were questioning, like, why would, why would Washington State do this? And it's because they knew that USC was going to be short on some linemen, so they wanted to try to attack and try to force the ball out of Keaton Slovis' hands quicker rather than have those DBs have to defend for longer um, and you know, with some protection up front. So it's it's one of those things where it's, you know, you have to – you have to choose your poison, and they, they tried to speed up Keaton Slovis, and it didn't work out for him in that regard. But USC still could have run the ball. And if it's it doesn't have to be 300 yards. It can be 60 yards on 20 carries, just a little bit of something, so that then you can build off of those and do play action. Then you can, you know, if it's third and one, you have confidence you can pick it up. You don't have to run some special pass play. There's just those situations where you don't have to be running the ball all the time. You don't have to run it for eight yards of carry, but you need to be able to pick up some yards. And they didn't yeah. do that on Sunday. Yeah, and the second half was just kind of tailor-made for them to pick up some yards. I mean, you have that big lead. Quicken the game up. Don't give Washington State the opportunity to get that ball back with that high-powered offense with a half to go. Run the ball a little bit, run some clock, and just you know, cruise on with that uh, that that big lead in the in the second half. Not necessarily take your break off, but you know you could quicken the game up by running the ball, and they, it just didn't happen. Also on my stock down is, is an interesting one here. You guys bear with me just a second, but it's fatalities. And if you run the ball better, then you get to fatalities. And by that I mean Mortal Kombat. You know, when you get to the end of Mortal Kombat, you beat your opponent, and then at the end, you get to put him in a fatality, and it says, finish him. USC couldn't really finish him in this one. You know, you were looking for that to, to finish him off, and instead, USC went with, uh, you know, classic babyality, just babied their opponent and said, oh, okay, let's let's do the fourth quarter, and let's do the third quarter, and you guys run the clock, we'll run the clock. There was back-to-back 10-play, 18-yard drive, and a 10-play, 19-yard drive. So it meant for like 25 minutes of our life was just wasted with neither team moving the ball really forward or back at all. So, you know, it's an opportunity for a fatality for USC and just to to finish it off and and have a dominant victory, and they weren't able to do it. So I had that on my stock down. That's a great point. There was no, like, kill shot, no Mm -hmm. deciding. It was just like two sweaty dudes wrestling. One guy's clearly winning, but they're just, like, exhausted and just, like, bumping into each other and it's messy and no one really wants to fight it. There's no finishing move. There was no pin. There was no fatality. There was no broken neck. There was no whatever. Just a bunch of stupid wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm old enough to remember the 2017 season when after every game, almost every question was had to involve, does USC have a killer instinct? We had to ask that so many times, and it was like, well, I don't know. Do we have a killer instinct? Blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's a mark of a Clay Helton team, to be honest. It's the same thing with garbage time. What happens with garbage time? It's because the game is over. It's killed. And so it's kind of one and the same. It's just not part of the, the Helton era. I think the defense is developing that killer instinct, though. I yeah, think they're, I, yeah, I think, I think right now they're a interesting tag team wrestling and going back to wrestling and the defense is like keep setting up the offense to like finish it but the offense keeps flubbing it and falling out of the ring or 
tripping into the ladder or falling off the cage. I feel like that's what's happening here. Interesting analogy, but I see what you're going for there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you see it. So far, we've got Mortal Kombat and uh, WWE uh, references in Stockdown. Keely, what do you got to, to reference in Stockdown? Yeah, I don't really have a fun reference. I had Stockdown on Rivalry Week just because we're in a pandemic and we're not seeing a lot of duct tape on all of USC's statues and memorabilia around campus and there's no conquest. There's just there's nothing that shouts, this is Rivalry Week and USC's playing UCLA, really. So Stockdown on Rivalry Week. And a lot of conversation about not even playing the game and having USC play Colorado, some other stuff like that. True, very true. Which, which is interesting, especially because this is one of the better matchups between these two teams. I think these two teams are playing, you know, the best, you know, with both of them playing well in, what, seven, eight years maybe? It's been a while since both teams are playing well at the same time, and I think both of them are, you know, you know, putting their best foot forward um, from what we've seen in the past few years, especially. So it's interesting that there isn't the hype around it. I know USC fans and UCLA fans are will be carrying it with them throughout the year, but the lead up is just not not quite the same when no one's on campus, and like you said, there's there's just not that uh, you know that that tangible feel of this rivalry. My roommates were wondering. Is the victory bell going to be brought out? Will there be someone that's cleared to ring the victory bell? Like, these are questions that I don't know the answer to. Chrissy T, what else you got on stock down? I just had a quick one that kind of bugged me uh, late in the game. It was just uh, stock down on Keaton Slovis management. I do not know why he was in at the fourth quarter. Uh, I know maybe you wanted to show the fans, look, he's okay. But it just didn't make sense for him to be there. Just say it after in the press conference. We can see him on the sideline celebrating the win. You don't necessarily need to put him in there to, sh- to show everyone. And he ended up taking a really big hit on that that one drive he was in. They had to peel him off the floor. Uh, that could have been a really bad uh, situation for USC after he they already got gotten by the first hit he took in the third quarter. So I, I just did not agree with the fact that he was in there. It looked like Washington State had already like waved the white flag by switching out their quarterback. So I know there was a lot of time left in the fourth quarter, but nothing was really going on. And I just felt like he doesn't need to be in there. Protect him. You already got a wonky O-line right now. Just, just get him out of there. Yeah, I had that on my stock down as well. I think I tweeted during the game. It was just like, you're you're walking. It's a balancing act, a tightrope act, where this could go very wrong very fast, especially given all of last year's quarterback issues. But I kind of had a hot take during the game. To me, it felt like USC was like, hey, we're in an opportunity to get a blowout, and we don't usually do this. So let's just keep Keaton in. Let's let's try for the blowout. They obviously couldn't get it. So then they were like, oh, oh okay, okay, fix it, fix it. Never mind, no blowout. It just felt like they wanted to do this because they don't usually and then still couldn't do it because they, they weren't going with what worked. They tried to run the ball and that wasn't successful. I don't know. It just felt like USC was trying to do something and couldn't do it and kind of at the expense of maybe Keen Slopes' health. I've got a couple different takes on this. I think one is that they were trying to have that killer instinct that we chastised them for not having, and they said, hey, we need to get get another touchdown. And like, like, if you look at a scoreboard and you see a 40 or a 50, you see the four or the five, it just stands out way more than a three. Um, you know, a 31-28 game compared to, you know, a 42-14 game. They're just it, the, the number stands out a lot more. So I think they were trying to get into that 40-point category, especially 
they've talked about how they think they can get you know 40 to 50 points each game and they feel like they're leaving points out there so i think that was part of it and also uh, you know after a, a couple of those throws after keaton was hit you know were not perfectly accurate and even b- before he left the game but he got hit a couple times on that and they weren't as, as accurate so i think that because of his issues that he's had to throw on the ball which uh, graham harrell said we're all mental this week and i think it's you were getting more and more evidence that that was the case, that they wanted to put him back in there and say, all right, go out there, make a couple throws just to get his confidence up so he didn't have any lingering doubts after the, the last couple throws prior to that. He had a, he had a, a third and 13 throw to Tyler Vons was a little bit high, didn't come out as crisp as some of the other throws. Um, so I think that was part of the reason, like, oh, let's get him back in there, Let, let's see. So there were opportunities they could have taken him out early. Um, especially with the depth concerns at, at quarterback. But I think part of it was the mentality they're trying to create with the offense. And the other was the mentality of their quarterback and making sure that he was, you know, he was good to go for the next week. Also on stock down, I've got the tight ends because they're not helping Keaton Slovis out. They're not helping the run game out. And, you know, they, they've struggled and they've been, you know, low graded and everything else. So they've been, their stock has not risen anytime recently. Though Chrome and Hook's two touchdowns gave them a little tiny boost. But their stock is down for me because they lose Jude Wolf. So it's not only that, you know, that they're not performing well, but now you lose one of the pos- players at that position. It's already a thin position as far as scholarship guys. Josh Follow made his season debut, so that's a positive development for them. But losing Jude Wolf for a season in an injury, you know, he was limping around a little bit before, you know, he came out for the rest of the game. So it sounds like he had a broken bone in, the, in his foot. He'll have to have surgery. He's done for the year. But stock down because you lose a player um, at a thin position as well. Yeah, I had Jude Wolf and the tight ends on my stock down as well. And for personnel moves, I had stock down for Palier Naotoote entering the transfer portal on Monday. Clay Hilton and USC kind of sound like they could get him back, but it just sounds like there is just frustration there on EA's part, and he just wasn't having a good time between injuries and not playing like everyone knows or is expecting of him. So stock down on him and uh, TBD on his story as a Trojan. Yeah, I I had him on my stock down as well, and the reason why I did is because he goes in the transfer portal, you know, and we'll say that he was healthy uh, this upcoming week and he could have played for a couple games. That's an opportunity to move forward. And it's just another lost year for him where he hasn't been able to live up to the potential. And there was a lot of expectation, a lot of um, hope this season going in. And he struggled the first couple games. And like I've said on a couple other shows is I think that if he would have been in there the last two games, he would have taken off just like we've seen the, the inside linebackers do from Raylan Goforth and Kanaya Mauga and even Talano Hufunga in this game playing them in the linebacker position. Um, I think he would have taken off. I think there was just some hesitancy, hesitancy the first couple of games. And I think the linebackers have played much better after the Arizona games. So I, I think he would have been seeing his stock rise right now. And instead, he has the concussion. He's out right now, and then he enters the transfer portal. And if he doesn't come back, decide to come back, it's just another year lost for him. So definitely a stock down for me as well. Unfortunate one. Yeah, indeed. Chris? I had a, just a quick stock down, which kind of relates to the run game. Just stock down a little bit on running back recruiting. Uh, the 2021 class, class is an important one for running backs. They need to sign at least two to help bolster out that uh the depth there, I mean, you have the op- option that, you know, uh, Vavai or 
Carr can return since they get a free year this year, but I think you'd want to get some newer, fresh blood in there. They have a commitment from four-star composite Texas running back Brandon Campbell, and there's been a little interesting sub sub tweeting on between from Campbell on his social media. There's been some deleted Snapchat screen texts that show frustration with only getting five rushing yards uh, this last game. So I think USC's got to do some damage control there. Uh, I know some people are. Some adults are saying, you know, I don't know why they should be worried about this. They had a wonky O-line, given the circumstances. But these are kids. They want to see, you know, rushing yards. They don't want to see five rushing yards. They they, they want to see that production. So I think USC has to do some damage control there. And they still need a second running back. And it's going to be hard to sell a second running back when you're only getting five rushing yards. So that's what I had on stock down. I agree with all that. My last stock down was on short weeks. Um, and like we said, USC could play three games in 13 days. And it's just stocked down because back-to-back short weeks, not necessarily for the team, but for our team, you know, the grind that we're going through to produce all the, the normal content that, that we get you guys, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of back-to-back short weeks. We can do it once in the season, guys. We're fine with that. You know, we'll take it a ah, special, special occasion. Doing it back-to-back is like, whew, I'm already uh, – you know, burning the candle thin here, um, you know, trying to, to get through this week. So if we have to do it back-to-back, it's going to be a tough one next week. So just letting you guys know, we're grinding for you guys. You're, you're so brave, Shaka. <laughs> so brave. Just, 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 it's moving me right now. Stock down for whining. Also, that means we're going to be delirious <laughs> on next week's pod. So there you go. I have not slept more than two and a half hours in, in, a, in a row yet. Since the since the game on Sunday, he was actually asleep before this podcast. He was actually. I had to call him to wake him up. <laughs> I'm catching whatever thirty minutes I can grab. You know, that's that's what this week is about. At least we're in a pandemic, so you're not falling asleep at red lights these days. <laughs> it may or may not have happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's move on to now a new segment: question preview time, if you will. First up, this matchup: UCLA USC. What are, I guess, the areas of concern for you guys? I know Gerard did a rare preview tweet this week, and he tweeted, I see a lot of chess being played on the edge of the Bruins defense Saturday. If USC is one-dimensional and cannot keep edge blitzers and rushers honest, going to be a challenge keeping Keaton Slovis upright. I know Gerard has been uh, has harped on USC's predictability in that sense, and Keaton Slovis not really being a run threat. How do you see this playing out against UCLA? Just jumping on the first part about what my biggest concern is for this this matchup, it's it's US UCLA's pressure. They're the number one sacking team in the Pac-12 with 18 sacks. USC is second with 12. And this defense kind of looks a little bit of kind of like the, the, the pressures that Todd Orlando brings. He likes to get creative, bring it from different areas, try to confuse the quarterback. But for me, it just comes down to the protection of Keaton Slovis. You had Andrew Voorhees out. Will he get back? How much? How how rusty is he going to be? You know, Liam Jimmins had had the uh, sublex sub. I don't know how to say it. Sublexion. Subluxation. Subluxation of his elbow. You're hoping you get him back. Uh, you have Elijah Vera Tucker. Obviously, he's your stud. But it's just going to be interesting how to keep Keaton Slovis upright. And you know, last week there was that the injury scare in the third quarter. So. That, that's what it's going to come down to, is, is keeping him protected. 
I think it's a really interesting matchup uh, when you look at what does UCLA want to do? Do you do what's your strength and what's done? They've done well in this game, you know, this season, being able to pressure the quarterback, bringing those blitzes and stuff, or do you do what is your opponent's weakness and force USC to dink and dunk their way down a field uh, with some drop coverage and eight men in the back, you know, and try to get pressure with three. That's the biggest question for me. What are you going to do? And it's an interesting kind of dilemma for UCLA. Well, we actually got a question about that from Jesse on Twitter, who's also our resident UCLA fan who always watches Tunnel Vision. So thanks, Jesse, for that. He said, should UCLA stay true to who they've been all year and blitz and pressure USC or drop eight and dare USC to run the ball? I, like I said, it's an interesting dilemma. And I think ideally for them, they can get pressure without blitzing. And I think they'll try to they'll you know do a little bit of both early and sample and see what they can do. But the thing is, if you don't get pressure on Keaton Slovis, he's going to rip you apart. You know, this season, even with his arm struggles and your mental issues or whatever it has been when he struggled the first couple games, when he's been under no pressure, he's got an 88 grade on pro football focus. You know, he's completing 76% of his passes. He's got nine touchdowns. Um, he's got a 117.5 NFL rating. When he's under pressure, his, his grade drops drastically, 30 points down to 58.5. He's only completing 57.9% uh, of his passes, and his NFL QB rating goes down to 79.9. So if you get pressure with three guys, that's great. Because if you blitz, when you blitz, Keaton Slovis is at his best. He's actually better when he gets blitzed than when he just has no pressure with a regular drop. You know, he, when he's blitzed, he is 26-33 this season, 78.8% completion. He's averaging 10 yards per attempt. He's at, He's got five touchdowns in that situation. He's just been dynamic in those situations when he's been blitzed. Um, so it's being able to get pressure without the blitz. So it's going to be interesting for me to see what UCLA tries to do. You know, Ideally what they can do is get pressure without the blitz, but I, I, I think they're going to try to do a little bit of everything, and um, the blitz is going to have to hit home for them. And can they confuse the offensive line? It's more than more than confusing Keaton Slovis is confusing the offensive line. That's where we've seen him take a couple of big hits this year is when the offensive line just doesn't pass things off correctly, doesn't identify the fronts right. Um, and, you know, Washington State had one big play where, you know, they showed some guys in the middle that looked like they were going to blitz. USC shifted the, the pass protection, and then they lost a guy off the edge. Uh, and Keaton Slovis took the big hit on that one too. So it'll be interesting that matchup. I think it's the, the biggest matchup on that side of the ball. Now in terms of DTR and Felton, what's the biggest problem for USC in that sense? Are you concerned at all with the mobility of DTR? Yeah, I think you're always concerned with the USC defense, even though this USC defense has improved in that regard. You know, Jaden Delora, who can make plays with his legs, didn't really hurt them that much in that in, in that sense. But DTR is a more experienced player. He's having a really great season. So I think that is the biggest concern for me, is going up against one of the probably the best uh, scrambling quarterback right now in the Pac-12. Uh, Felton is a, is, a, is a dynamic player. He, he had a big game against USC last year. Uh, but I would be more concerned about uh, DTR at this point. Interesting. I'm more concerned if I'm USC about the run game. Um, I, I think that, you know, the first couple of games, they gave up some yards running uh, on the ground. And this is what is different about the UCLA offense than what they've seen the last two weeks. They're a little bit more dynamic, 
our last two games, a little bit more dynamic than what we've seen from Utah with all their changes on the offensive side and a little bit more dynamic than Washington State who just wants to throw the ball all the time. So I think the downhill running attack is what could be different here. So they have to be able to stop the run. And then the question, you know, against Washington State, you can put all those safeties on the field and put your DBs. Can you do that and have them come up and make tackles against the run game? Or do you have to have more linebacker, more big bodies out there, and then that gives DTR those opportunities to get outside the pocket? So that's where USC is going to be put into confusion. That's where their conundrum is going to be. So they've got to figure that portion out. And I think it starts with a downhill rushing attack of UCLA and the fact that Demetri Felton has been uh, terrific for the Bruins this season. So stopping him is probably is the first priority, in my opinion. Todd Orlando seemed pretty high on UCLA's offensive line as well. He said that they're kind of an underrated group and not getting as much praise as maybe they should have. So something to watch for is USC's defensive line. Can they get pressure against maybe what Todd Orlando thinks is a, is a formidable front, you know? I think it comes down to Marlon Tupelotu in the middle of the defense too. Uh, their top two graded offensive players are their two tackles, Alec Anderson and Sean Ryan. Um, so I, I think it's going to be – coming up through the middle and attacking, you know, the middle of their, their offensive line versus trying to beat them on the edges. Sean Ryan, formerly of Chris Trevino's inside look. Yeah. That sound you're hearing is all these USC fans quietly taking a moment to lament the loss of Sean Ryan in the 2019 recruiting class. Sorry. They all blend together, but yeah. You mean I mean, all the recruiting classes where they didn't get offensive linemen in recent years, because that's what it feels like, you know, the high end first priority offensive lineman, at least shade shade. Uh, but just quickly. Yeah, I don't I actually feel really confident about USC's defensive line going up against this UCLA line. I like the way they're playing. Nick Figueroa. Give me a little Thule. Give me a little Marlin in the middle. I think they're going to get some pressure. Be interesting if we see some Jacob Lichtenstein in this game. He didn't play um, point, this past point. game. We'll see if you know he was out there in warmups and stuff. You know, can you get him in the mix? How much can Brandon Peely, you know, play? There's just so many weapons on that defensive line that you can fully rotate constantly if you really wanted to. So I'm curious to see. I think this game will be closer than last week, and if it is, what the rotation actually turns into. Because a guy like Caleb Tremblay came back from his injury. He played four snaps. You know, so, you know, where, where does he fit in? Where does Peely fit in? Where does Connor Murphy fit in? There's some veteran guys on there that are searching for that playing time. So when you go in, you better make the most of it. Kind of touching on what you said earlier, Shotgun, I think on the whole, people are underestimating this UCLA team. It just doesn't seem like people are expecting this to maybe be, and when I say people, I mean like fans or like the general zeitgeist. I don't think that people are thinking this is going to be an interesting matchup, and I actually think it will be. I just think people are like, oh, it's Chip Kelly. They haven't done well. Who cares? But this UCLA team has been gaining momentum as the season progressed. Yeah, I think they're playing well, and they're playing their best ball of the season so far. You know, they struggled early. They lost to Colorado, uh, but they played much better the last couple of weeks. And, you know, watching them, you go, oh, there's some pieces there. You know, they're starting to play, and you listen to the players. They talk about how everyone's kind of bought in over there, and, you know, they finally feel like they have that full buy-in from the team rather than having some guys that are in, some guys are like, who's the Chip Kelly guy coming in, who's the new coach? You know, they've run off a ton of players. They've had so many transfers uh, during uh, Chip Kelly's time there that now I feel like he's got his guys there and they're starting to play to the, you know, to their potential. We have a couple questions and then we're going to go to take it or leave it. One of them is from Dave who tweeted at us, 
Would you attribute the turnover battle that USC keeps winning to our increased aggressiveness on defense, not running the ball as much and thus less fumbling, less YOLO ball on offense, or just sloppiness from the teams USC has played due to lack of game slash practices? Todd Orlando kind of took a question about this, of what he attributes to kind of the the turnovers that have increased. And he kind of said it was just players making plays. It was simple as that. You have these 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 good guys on the team, and they're just stepping up, making the plays when they're put in position to do so. And I think it also has to do with the confidence. This team, this defense is really confident right now, all-time season high. And I think they're just, you know, in their in their bag a little bit with these with these turnovers. I think confidence is, is a really good point. I think that they're they're playing with a ton of confidence. And if they don't, you know, make a play on one one, then they're ready to come back the next play. It's not festering in their mind and, and you know, uh, following them for the rest of the game. And it's also their veteran guys, their talented guys are making these plays. Talano Hufunga with multiple, I think he's got three interceptions. He's also forced to fumble. I think Marlon Tupelotu with a sack fumble. Drake Jackson with an interception. It's their stars are making plays but they're being put in the positions to make these plays. So I think it's partly the pressure that, that USC is bringing and, you know, getting those, you know, when you bring pressure, you end up having a lot of one-on-one matchups and you have some free runners and stuff, uh, uh, you know, attacking the quarterback, putting that pressure in the quarterback's face, making a throw not be as crisp or be a little bit off. And that's when you can go make some plays. You know, you, you have to combat it when you, when you blitz like that and the potential of man-to-man coverage and giving up big plays but for USC, they're creating a ton of big plays rather than giving up any. We got a tweet from at Johnny5 who says, How do you guys feel about a USC-Georgia Fiesta Bowl matchup? Will Keaton outduel JT Daniels? That would be quite spicy, and I would be all over that for the messiness of these two former teammates, former quarterbacks going at it. The guy who he replaced and took his job, the guy who left who's now having a pretty good season at Georgia. Oh, it's just... Just the T would be un- incredible. And it would be a great game because it's a New Year's Six New Year's Six Bowl and a great little recruiting uh, you know, boost if USC pulls that out over an SEC team. So I would love to see that. Yeah, I feel like Chris is over there with his wings right now. It's just getting sloppy. Just this is just storylines to 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 what? What? We we did not like that. <laughs> I didn't like the visual or the audio yeah. of eating them wings. Yeah, eating them wings. He's just licking his chops. Mm, here we go. Not again. Story, I, I like storylines. Storylines galore. I, I, I think you know we always look for matchups and for storylines, and that's exactly what this would give us. Um, I, I don't think Georgia's you know the number eight team really in the country. They haven't really proven themselves. They've struggled, but with JT Daniels, that offense is so much different. Uh, that you would be interested to see them against a USC team. And that would be a terrific matchup to me. JT Daniels versus the Todd Orlando defense. There's so many matchups and would be interesting storylines in this game that I would definitely like to see it. Plus the fact that Keeley's dad's a Georgia fan. So he's going to be all over this. Uh, he would be excited to see it. I grew up a Georgia fan being from Georgia. So, you know, I haven't seen them play in a couple of years since the Rose Bowl out here. It'd be fun to watch. I think it'd be a great matchup. Uh, and, you know, it, it would be a, a unique and interesting matchup as well. It's true. It would be a Your Family Bowl. Keely covering USC and my dad is a Georgia fan. It would be exciting. <laughs> Licking them chops. No, oh, nom, stop nom, it. Nom. No. Since we're already on it, Chuck, and then touched on it, what do you guys make of USC's number 15 ranking in the CFP? 
they're they're ahead of North Carolina. That's what really matters to me. You know that the, the hypocrisy of North Carolina moving up after a loss just was too much for me last week. Um, I think I still think they're probably a spot or two above. Should be a spot or two above that. Uh, there's a couple teams I think are a little bit overrated, but 15 seems about right for USC somewhere in that mid-teen range. Uh, the the more important thing is it's just they're above North Carolina now. He's the college football ranking expert, so what, what, what am I supposed to say to that? You know what is most interesting is that BYU, after their loss, fell below USC. So USC is actually the highest-ranked West team. See, that's why he's the college football playoff ranking expert. Alrighty, well, it's time to pass the torch, the baton, if you will, to Chris Trevino. Take it away for take it or leave it. Yes, yes. Let me just do a couple of stretches so I can jump through these corporate hoops. Also, can I just say that at 1.30 on Sunday night, Monday morning, if you will, I get a text from Chris Trevino, and he's like, can you help me out with take it or leave it this week? This was Literally, like, two hours after we got back from the game. So he was already scheming for this shotgun. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Scheming. If you're not scheming, you're not making money. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, thank you to this this week's presenting sponsor, sponsor for Take It or Leave It. I got a DM from them shortly in the wee hours of Sunday, Sunday morning, Monday morning. Uh, so thank you to our corporate sponsor, Audacity. Podcast creators, have you ever said something you really regret like this? Uh, Aaron Cromahook will finish equal or with more touchdowns than Amon Ross St. Brown in the regular season. I'm taking it. He's got a 2-0 advantage. Or maybe something like this. Palaie Nyoteote matches his career tackle for a loss numbers. So that's, that's including sacks. So that's 9.5. Here at Audacity, we don't care what your podcast is about. 17th century candle making, dog dancing, or USC football. We want to help you not sound like an idiot. Our new patented AI technology will analyze your audio and highlight risky takes that might come back to bite you in the rear. Take control of your audio editing needs and leave behind podcast quote regret. Audacity, because some sound bites just shouldn't make it to the internet. Thank you to Audacity for sponsoring this week's Take It or Leave It. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. I love it. And with that, hopefully we do not have podcast quote regret on this week, but we're going to start off with Nick Figueroa is a first team all Pac-12 defensive lineman. This is spicy and I'm going to leave it. I don't think he goes there. I'm not well-versed with other Pac-12 defensive lines, but I'm going to say no. I'm going to leave it. And I know Shotgun's looking up stats to show me up right now, but that's fine. That's how the segment goes. Stop giving away all my secrets. Up stuff. <laughs> I sound dumb, and I have to let people know why. You get an advantage while You didn't I learn from last week. You said I should just let him go first, and then it's you true. didn't let him go first. It's true. He, uh, this is a hard one. This might be a T-vit. Uh, just because oh. it's difficult to say, he, he does lead USC in tackles for loss. He does lead USC in three with three and a half sacks. So if USC then wins the Pac-12 championship, you know, it makes it that much more difficult to leave off a guy like that. Obviously, we think the awards will go out before the championship, but the fact that there's another games being played that day, you know, the fact that all the Pac-12 teams will be playing, 
then maybe they wait on the awards. Normally they would go out before the championship game. So it's hard to say here just because I don't have all the factors of when these are going to be uh, displayed. If USC then wins and he leads the team in, in those uh, categories, then I think it's hard to keep him off. However, his stats aren't just you know completely jumping off the page, eye-popping, like some of, the, some of the stats that some of the other guys may have across the league. So shotgun's allowed to teeve it? I, I call BS on this one. You made it a thing, so... You made shenanigans! It a thing. Yeah. Shenanigans! Clearly. I call shenanigans! So we had to leave it and a teeve it. Uh, moving on, you will see will score its first touchdown in the third quarter on Saturday. USC will score its first third quarter touchdown on Saturday. There it is. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to follow the trend, you know? Of course, I did that last week, so if they come out with four touchdowns in the third quarter, I'm okay with being wrong, but I'm going to be wise in my decision and follow the trend, and considering they haven't done it yet, I'm not going to think they're going to do it this week. Now, is this USC's offense scoring in the third? Oh. Yeah. I will say I will say any, any touchdown. I will take special teams. I will take defense. My gut says take it, but I'm going to leave it. It's just a trend that goes past this season. This has been a thing for a while, so I have to leave it. Okay. Moving on. Talanoa Hufunga is the best linebacker on the team. Ooh. Now we're getting spicy, Chris. Ooh. Now you got those wings that you were licking your chops for. Now you're, now you're concerned about that blazing sauce. I just, the wings thing, I, I just don't get the bit, but I, I'm here for it, Shotgun. I'm here for it. If you want to make it a thing for this week, I, I'll, I'll get in there. I'll get in there for you. I'll, no, mm, no, mm, stop. This is mm, gross. Okay. Clearly he said this week too, so it, it's, you can't do this anymore after this week, Shotgun. I, I don't know what, look, the bits don't choose me when they happen during the week. If he wants to do wings, we're going to do wings. You said you were licking your chops in the storylines of USC versus Georgia. You know, like when your good wings come out. Oh, man. And I think now you've hit the blazing sauce here. Okay. And, okay. you know, we've got some ghost peppers in there. And we're like, whoa, this is spicy here. Is this the is Talanoa the top linebacker on the team? I, it's hard to say no after what we've seen. But there's a caveat. He hasn't faced a downhill rushing attack. And linebackers have to do that, too. So I'm going to leave it, even though he was terrific in that role last week. Respect, respect. If I want to be shady and say, is he the best read and reactor, best IQ uh, linebacker, then I would take it. Respect the game. No, fine. I have to leave it. I'm sorry, Chris. Okay. But you thought about it. You both thought about it. And that's all that matters. I think that's going to be one that we'll get some uh, emails about, you know, or some tweets. I think people are going to differ, have differing opinions on that. Uh, we'll do the the Twitter one that we just got in from uh, Gustavo. Uh, take it or leave it. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown will be the highest drafted USC wide receiver in the last 10 years. I believe that is held by Nelson Aguilar as the 20th overall pick. I believe that is the, the mark he must beat. All right, I'm going to leave this one. And my reasoning is that I think Amon Ra St. Brown is an elite um, slot receiver. However, slot receivers don't get um, drafted as highly as outside receivers. And you know he doesn't have the speed and quickness that you want from those 
uh, elite receivers that you may draft a little bit higher. You know, the the Henry Ruggs that at oh, that Oakland took. I see him more in that – he's close to that range. Jalen Rieger from TCU has a little bit more quickness than him, but I see them as a similar type where a team is looking. And he went 21st overall to the Philadelphia Eagles last year. So I think he's going to be slightly below that, potentially a second-round guy. Um, again, he just he runs such elite routes, but I think that there's just concerns with the amount of separation maybe he'll be able to get at the next level. So CBS came out with a mock draft today that has Amon Ra at 19 with the Giants, which would make it a take it. But I'm going to leave it. But I will say that's notable that CBS put him at 19, just FYI. I believe that is the second CBS first round mock that he's uh, been on this month. He he went to, he was the number 30th overall pick last week in a mock draft uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs, which would be a fantastic landing spot for him. Uh, so he's getting more first-round buzz than he did uh, like several months ago. So that is nice to see. I personally, I don't think if he does, it's going to be in the later after twenty. I think that him, if he lands between twenty and thirty, I think is even more ideal than him getting a little bit more money up front because finding the right fit is going to be so important. And I think a team that you know already has some weapons and is a playoff-caliber team will do so much more for his career than him going and, you know, have expectations as a you know first round guy or following early in the second round and being expected to come in and contribute and, you know, be a elite guy to begin with, you know, similar to Robert Woods, how going to Buffalo and really struggling, but then finding the right fit with the Rams. I think the Rams would be a great landing spot for him. You know, he could follow in that mold of Cooper cup and Robert Woods. He does a lot of those similar things with that they do. Um, or like you said, if he lands with the chiefs, that's a great fit because he does something a little bit different than all the other guys there do. Uh, so I think that there's, you know, some, some teams in that back half of the first round that could be really good fits for him rather than him, you know, going a little bit higher in the draft. And my last corporate take it or leave it, USC will finish top 25 in total offense and defense right now. They are 17th overall in offense, 34th in defense where they have made big strides over the last couple weeks. I'll take it. I'll take it. I think we're seeing progression. Um, now, they do potentially face better offenses. Uh, with UCLA, I think they're clicking them much better. And then the Pac-12 championship, we'll see who they could potentially face there. Um, but I think that the defense is making progressions. And I think the offense, with Keaton Slovis, the way he looked this week, I think they will be able to take a step forward and continue to, to put up yards on, on the on the stat sheet. Yeah. See, Shotgun's point about how the teams are only going to get better probably from here on out makes me want to leave it. Just because what if USC somehow pulls the USC and ends up in a New Year's Six Bowl? That's going to be the outlier in the data set that's going to mess up all the stats. Because I don't think USC will do well against an actually like formidable team. So I'm going to leave it in that sense. Okay. Okay. And that wraps up our corporate take it or leave it. Thank you again to Audacity. Never be caught with podcast quote regret ever again with their new podcast editing software. Thank you, Audacity. Should we point out that that's not an actual thing that people are going to be going and looking to, that this is a made up sponsorship here until someone wants to actually sponsor us? That we are not getting paid for, so please don't sue us, Audacity. Thank you. And now to the real take it or leave it. 
the underground, the street, the grimy, the real life, the real world, real world road rules, take it or leave it. I don't know what I'm doing. First off, I don't know if anyone saw, I hope you guys saw this week that Lifetime Movies is coming out with a new recipe for seduction, a KFC movie built as a Lifetime movie. Are we taking Mario Lopez as the colonel? So I'm leaving it just for the the colonel facial hair. I don't think it works on Mario Lopez. What the hell? Shotgun is very confused. He must have missed it. That they're making a Lifetime movie, like a sexy murder movie. It's actually called A Recipe for Seduction. Yes, he is the Colonel Sanders. I am not making this up. And this is 1,000% going to be my Halloween 2021 costume. This is going to be it. And everyone will love it. Because I am a Hispanic man. And I will do this. It's on Lifetime, I'm leaving it. If it's on Hallmark, I'm leaving it. Okay, well, go watch the trailer. Hopefully they will sponsor us next week, the promotion. Okay, we have two leaves it. Two leaves it. Moving on. The the Netflix show, Queen's Gambit. I just finished it this week. I cried at the end. I just want to take this opportunity to say everyone needs to go watch this. Is this a take it or leave it? Sorry. Is yes, this a- are you taking it or leave it? Have you guys seen it? Have you heard about it? So it's going to be taken. I haven't taken it yet, but it's on the list to be. I just finished Ted Lasso, and it was very good. Ten out of ten recommend. Heard positive things, but it's football season. I don't watch shows during football season, guys. Come on. Who has time for that? Well, true, but this was because USC's game got canceled. That's like the only reason why I actually had time on my hands. So we'll see. Queen's Gambit starting January. All right, moving on. You've all probably seen the news about the new Spider-Man 3 movie with everyone being signed on from the past Spider-Mans for this new one. Will Shock what will will Spider-Man 3 come out before Shotgun finishes his MCU's journey? When's the due date? Years. <laughs> years, at least 3 years. Well, he just said how he has no time to watch anything, and he's taken forever to get through his dumb MCU journey that is way longer than it needs to be, so I'm leaving that one. I I mean, I don't know which one I'm supposed to say, but I'll be done by the time that one comes out. And for those who don't know, Shotgun is attempting to watch, from the start, the entire MCU, which is Chronologically, in the series from the start, not by release date. And that includes the TV shows, the Jessica Jones, the the uh, Luke Cage Iron, right now, the oh, Iron season. Fist, the the whatever, everything, Agents of Shield, everything in between to get to Endgame. He's doing this. It is insane. It's been quite a journey. We have to warn him to mute certain words to make sure we don't spoil things. It's it's such an arduous process for Chris and I to watch this happen. I warn him when I use certain gifs. In the, the P, I say, shotgun, don't go in there. You're going to be spoiled. I'm working my way through it. Okay, here we are. The last one. This is very, this is a two-parter, a very specific set of rules. Do not add on to anything. You just say, take it or leave it. Do not say anything else. Just say, take it or leave it. <laughs> okay? Shotgun, that's you. What? You say, take it or leave it. You take it or leave it. What? <laughs> okay. Rivalry week. Take it? Take it? 
Okay, now you both said take it. Now you must both share a quick story or memory of rivalry week from your lives. Is it high school? Is it, I know you're both former athletes. Is it uh, Keely being a UCLA fan growing up? Hey. Anything, <laughs> anything that relates to rivalry week from your life. Maybe it was a personal rivalry in your high school that, that good old Ted Sampson who always had the best of you in chemistry class. Anything to do with the rival. I need a quick story or a moment or a memory, anything. So I'll say this. I went to Tesoro High School, which Tesoro Titans, and a pseudo-rival was San Clemente because they were the San Clemente Tritons. And their whole thing was like, we're the real T because we had a T on our hill. And it was, like, really offensive as a high schooler. Like, we were, like, stunned. <laughs> so ever since I, – I joked with Sam Darnold about it because he was from St. Clemente. But it was, like, a whole, like, oh, the real tea. So that's, I guess, my story. Unless you want to really expose me for my childhood fandom, which I'm not about to get to get into right now. <laughs> no, I, I, I like that story. That's perfect. That's something that I wanted. But we're the real tea sounds very lame. It- <laughs> I just want to say, we're the real letter. <laughs> True. Yeah. High school is dumb in that sense. Also, one of my favorite rivalry stories is when USC actually had practice that we could go to, the seniors would wear their their senior jerseys uh, from high school. And Trey Madden went to Mission Viejo High School, which is DeSoro's rival. And I happened to do an interview with him that day. So we kind of ribbed each other a little bit about Mission versus DeSoro in the interview. And that was fun, too. So there you go. See, that, that's exactly what I wanted. Great. Great job, Keely. Thank you. Shotgun, just... don't mess it up. Um, you know, high school, we were in a region where all the teams in the same county, we had, I think, I think it was nine schools in the county at that time, and seven of them were in the same region. So every region game felt like a, a bit of a rivalry game. So there were some heated games, especially during basketball season. But my junior year, I think it was, sophomore or junior year, our football team was terrible, and our rivals team was terrible. They met, and they were 0-9 at the end of the season, both of them. So they played in what we call the Toilet Bowl. Um, and I think our, I think we won the Toilet Bowl that year. Uh, but then a couple years later, my senior year, uh, we play, I was, that's when I started playing football. I was only played my senior year. But got a new coach in. We made it to the playoffs. So we went from the Toilet Bowl to the playoffs in, in a couple years. So that was, that was fun. And beat our rivals, uh, one of our rivals that season as well. But uh, in college, a good one. In college, I went to Maryville College, a little small school in Tennessee. There's only one other D3 small school in East Tennessee. It's Swanee University. They call themselves the University of the South as well, which is a bunch of BS. Uh, to think that they that they're so spectacular, they can what cover the entire South. Flex. Come on, get out of here. But anyway, so our football team was playing. We were going to travel to go watch the game. And we decided that we were going to take the couches from our dorm room because we had a suite. So we were taking the couches, took them out and put them in the truck, back of my buddy's pickup truck. We're going to take them to the game. And security comes over. I was an RA, so I knew all the security people. But security comes over and goes, why is one of your couches in the back of the truck? You know, you guys can't just take your... You can't just take your room Warm furniture issue. with you. And we're like, uh, we, we might have found it by a dumpster. And then later, someone said this. I was not a part of this conversation. Then later when we took it back, I was talking to security, trying to smooth everything over. And they were like, 
Someone said that you guys found it by a dumpster. I was like, well, that, that could have been said. That could have been said. And then we had, luckily we put the couch back because it ended up raining that day. But So we would have been in a lot more trouble. But we got in trouble for stealing our own couch. And I had to go speak with uh, some administrators about it later for stealing our own couch. Wild man shotgun, the RA. <laughs> very, very quickly, what was your mascot and this College of the South's mascot? They were the Tigers. Come on. Boo. There's no, there's no tigers in the South. Don't be the University of the South and try to claim that bullcrap. Now we were the Scots. You know, our baseball field was nicknamed Scotland Yard. Uh, there's kilts at every homecoming and everything. You know, bagpipes, terrific. Do we have any photo evidence of shotgun in a kilt? I don't believe that I ever wore a kilt, though. Unfortunate. Uh, kilt, kilt, and a button-up shirt. That, that's the look I want with the tie. <laughs> that's, that's the look. Backwards hat with a kilt. You know. Yeah. That's it. That's the flex. That should be your Halloween costume. You're really about Halloween costumes, and it's December, Chris. He's he throws a Halloween party every year, Keely. You know he's very, very adamant about his costumes. You have to plan ahead of time. You think they start planning the Oscars a month before? No, that starts the second the Oscars ends. They get going on the next one. Ugh. Sure. Ugh. Sure. Okay. And plus, it, it's pin up, Keely. You know he didn't get to throw the party this year. Because of COVID. It's true. It's, it's pent up aggression about not having a Halloween party. That's fair. That's very fair. Uh, I'm going to go cry about that later. But that is my take it or leave it. Again, thank you to our fake sponsor, Audacity. Keely, take it away. Alrighty. Thank you, Chris. Time to wrap up the podcast, gentlemen. How do you think this one's going to go? Saturday, rivalry matchup, 430. Good for tailgating, but no fans, which is sad. How do you think it's going to go? I think it's going to be a, a close game. I think USC has to, to be able to run the ball better than they did last week. Um, and I think that stopping the run on the other side is going to be key. So I think it may come down to the run games in this one. UCLA's got a much better run game. USC has a much better pass game. Comes down to the run game. Whoo, that's going to be tough. But I think USC's defense is playing so well right now that I'm going to take them. I think they'll find a solution for whatever UCLA is able to, to throw at them. Yeah, I'm leaning... USC, thanks to their defense, with that confidence right now, I think it's going to be pretty close. I think it's going to be back and forth, but I, I see USC pulling it in, out in the end in the fourth quarter because nothing's going to happen in the third quarter for them. <laughs> That's probably a safe prediction there, Chris. I think I'm with you guys. It's going to be close, but I think USC will get the edge in this one. But Chip Kelly, I think Chip Kelly in his chess piece – he comes out for like Oregon and, and USC. That's when he really puts his creative hat on. So I'm I'm it'll be close, but USC in the end. This season's been really weird, obviously, with the games and no fans and stuff. But I think it, with a rivalry game and being at the Rose Bowl, it's just going to be even more so. It's just going to you're going to we're going to get there and be like, what is going on here? This just doesn't feel right. Um, so we'll see what impact. Who has more energy on the sideline? I think that's. You know, they always talk about that, and it's kind of like, yeah, whatever. You can get feed off the fans, but you can't feed off the fans this year. So whoever has more energy in this one might be the team that actually pulls it off. All righty, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. As always, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Send us your tweets, your emails. We love hearing from you guys. Chris, you look like you're teeing up for a joke. Just doing a visual bit. Chris is sending us out with his, what's it called? Inflatable car dealership. Yeah. Chris is sending us out with his inflatable car dealership 
wiggle that you can't see, but it's pretty impressive if I do say so myself. That's Shotgun. That's Chris. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.